Father in heaven, we just are very, very grateful for the amazing truths that you give us to lessen suffering, to lift our judgment to heaven's point of view, to give us power and strength, Lord. You have given us the gospel not to escape suffering, but to offer us eternal life in spite of the afflictions of this world. So we do pray, dear God, that you would be our teacher today, that we may be vessels to win souls for your kingdom. For you said that light seekers will be brought to light bearers. Please teach us and educate us how to win souls for you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're shutting the door here. And just to, just to recap, there's a difference between making someone well and helping them to become whole, isn't there? What's the difference between making someone well and making them whole? What's the difference? Yes. That, well, that's a very good answer. And, and the Lord wants to bring us from survival to maintenance, maintenance to success, and success to significance. My contention is, or my proposition is, is that the only safe place is in the area of significance. Because everything else can be knocked out from under you. We can lose our finances. We can lose our health. We can lose so many things. I was talking to a woman just the other day whose daughter uh, developed uh, scleroderma. She was a very, very, very seriously ill woman. And because she had no significance outside of her physical well-being, she committed suicide. Yes, it's just been a few years. So how important it is that we keep our eye on the full journey. And help people to understand that full journey. But along the way, the resources and tools that God gives us for living and thinking and behaving and managing our finances and social relations, they all tend to life. The Bible says righteousness tends to life. And our goal is to help people find their wholeness in Jesus Christ. And the principles of wellness, and we could say wholeness, and for achieving long-term success. Now, tomorrow we're going to have a very special program on the pieces for long-term success, not only in our personal goals, but also when we hold programs. Do you want to just hold endless programs and never see results, never see baptisms, never see people lose their, get to their target weights, never achieve their goals? Do we just want to hold endless social events to make friends? I'm not paid by tithe just to endlessly make friends. I want souls for Jesus Christ. And I want for them to get the results that will show the world that what Seventh-day Adventists have is different than what Hallelujah Acres has. It's different than the Daniel Diet. It's different than the American Dietetics Association. Because the doctrines that we teach reveal a picture of God that those religions and those practices do not. So I'm in earnest that our participants will be introduced to the biblical God. And that's the only way that we can develop 
write characters. We're told this. The only way that a human being can develop a character in accordance with God's will. Of course, we know in Romans, those that do by nature the things contained in the law, are, you know, we, we understand the work of the Holy Spirit. But with false religions, false doctrines, the picture of God that is created hinders, our deve- hinders development, hinders the relationship with God. So we want to lead people to a destination. And long-term success involves clinical integration. This is just review, so I'm rushing through this because we've discussed it. The mind-body connection, one of my favorite topics we're going to dig into right now in just a moment. And I wanted the first part of the class to do this because we have to really uh, keep our circuits, our batteries buzzing and think very hard because uh, it, it, it's an amazing topic and it's going to require mental energy to take in the magnificence of what God has done and how he's created us and it will give you hope. Creating an internal environment of how we think and today we're going to uh, do another one of my favorite topics called Mindset Matters and uh, it's, it's just, it's a fun subject but it's also a critical one. Uh, and an external environment that will call you in a positive direction. Do you have things in your house that you place deliberately to call you in the right direction? Yeah. Right. And lifestyle links to mental, physical, spiritual, and social health. There are lifestyle links, very important. Creating a connection with God and with each other. It's like one little old lady said, and I already said it once, but I'll repeat it. What's deep in the well is going to come up in the bucket. Jesus said, without me, you can do what? Nothing. It's just worthless. We need God every step of the way. And by the way, we need each other. And managing stress is very, very critical because I know for me, stress is a major trigger for making stupid decisions. And stupid decisions we do make along the way. I'm thankful for the grace of Christ. That incense that goes up every day to cover us as we grow in wisdom and judgment. Well, today we're looking at God's peace plan, the mind-body connection, and we live in a world of intense stress and pressure. And I personally believe that the index of misery is going up and not down as time. I think pressure is increasing. Luke chapter 21 says that distress of nations with perplexity is increasing. Men's hearts failing them for fear and a certain looking uh, toward judgment. And when it says that men's hearts failing them, and it, it actually, the sense of the text is that they're reaching dead ends. We're trying to find solutions, but we hit up into a, a dead end, a wall. And so man's extremity is our opportunity. Now, interestingly enough, Satan wants to steal our peace, doesn't he? Satan wants it because why? Because God is the Prince of Peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He's called the God of Peace. Psalm 29:11 says that he will impart strength and power and peace to his people. And there is a peace that passes understanding. Now this is so heavy on the Savior's heart that three times before he died, he said, peace be unto you, right before he died. In fact, one time when he was talking to the disciples, he said, I am going to be crucified. You all will forsake me. Everyone is going to scatter. And he said, these things I have spoken unto you that in me you might have 
peace. In this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Three times after Jesus died, he came to the disciples with a benediction or with a salutation of peace. When they were hiding in the upper room and and Thomas said, I won't believe unless I see. Jesus appeared and he said, peace be unto you. Now, Satan hates peace. He wants to steal our peace. How can we have this kind of peace and have a peace that remains? Well, I did some studying and investigation about uh, regarding this topic, and I really believe that God has a genuine peace pact and peace plan that he wants. I believe that churches in the land, not of our faith, have pieces of this peace plan, but I don't think they have the whole thing. And I'm going to be very audacious here. And I'm going to tell you that I, I really believe that I, the Lord has helped us in our church to discover the components of a complete peace pan, plan. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. We're going to focus on the mind-body connection, but we're going to look at God's peace plan. And we actually have a nice little uh, activity sheet to do on this as we uh, divide up into our groups today. God has given us, number one, spiritual principles for securing peace by the way this powerpoint is a personal powerpoint somebody wants it that's fine just don't sell it Um, so don't feel like you have to take a bunch of notes he has given us spiritual principles for securing peace a lot of churches in the land they teach this they teach about peace with christ tearing down the wall of partition by grace you are saved through faith and so the lord has given us a spiritual principle here that we are saved by his righteousness there's nothing i can do i can hold a gazillion programs perfectly it has nothing to do to add merit to me uh, i can't earn or buy or create with satisfaction penance and uh, indulgences my salvation it's just not possible now when i receive that peace from god i have to act upon it and act is an acronym number one I have to have an attitude of surrender. A is for attitude. The Bible says, humble yourselves in the sight of God and he will lift you up. What an amazing promise. Humble yourselves in his sight. We place ourselves, when we spend time with him, under his examination. You, when you miss that, you went off the cliff. Because it's a blessed thing to be under the examining light of God. Amen. It's not a cruelty. It's a blessing for him to show us our folly. So we humble ourselves in his sight, and he will lift us up. He'll lift us up out of despair. He'll lift us up out of depression and discouragement and self-destruction. He lifts us up. But it says he resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. How does he resist the proud? Now, don't you know from your long history that a lot of those proud folks, they've got the money, they've got the influence, they've got the power, church positions not that all people are proud who are in church positions i have a church position okay (laughs) but you get what i mean they may have the influence how does god resist the proud you know the bible gives us a secret it says the greatest the greatest gift to be prized above rubies and emeralds and gold and silver is the wisdom of god judgment And when people start to get proud, then we lose our sense of discernment. And that's the worst punishment in the entire world, is to lose the wisdom and judgment of God. 
So when we humble ourselves in his sight, he lifts us up and he will give us the greatest gift of everything. And that is discernment between right and wrong and how we need that. See and act is for change. We're willing to change. Jesus makes our hearts willing to learn. And today we're going to find out about the fixed versus the learning mindset when we discuss mindset matters. And it's quite stunning. So the willingness to change. The Bible says uh, because they feared not God, they had no change. We fear God, we're willing to change. If you don't like the word change, use the word learn. How many of you want to learn? Learn new things. He always wants to teach us new things. Hi. That's okay. Would you like to sing a solo since you interrupted the class? <laughs> Just I'm back from the uh-huh. field trip down to the Orlando Junior Academy that are growing gardens. Okay. Enough said. <laughs> We're looking... Ra- no! <laughs> We're looking at God's peace plan. Spiritual principles for securing peace. A is for attitude. C is for being willing to change. T is spending time. There is no substitute for spending time with God. Not just time in study and prayer. You know, marriages can get like a relay team. Dane and I used to get this way. We were so busy. We loved the Lord's work so much that we got to be like a tag team. Okay, you pick up the kids. I'll go to the grocery store. We'll meet for this meeting. And then you mow the lawn. I'll trim the bushes. We, and, 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 and every once in a while we'd say, you know, I told my husband one time, I said, just because we're traveling on business and have lunch, that's not a date, I'm here to tell you. <laughs> So we had to take time just to be in each other's presence and enjoy each other's company. And so there's something more than study and prayer. It's just communing with God. After you say your prayers at night, do you just hang up the phone on God? David said, I will meditate upon thee in the night watches. When we're just laying quiet in bed, that's when the Holy Spirit comes and he just starts to talk to us about the things we've been talking to him about in prayer. So spending time with God. So he's given us these spiritual principles for securing peace. He's given us lifestyle principles that promote peace. Have we talked about how lifestyle, how did, did we talk yesterday about how exercise affects anxiety levels, creativity, depression? You know, frankly, I can pray all day long for deliverance from depression and anxiety. But if I sit on the couch and eat ding-dongs and watch Desperate Housewives, you know, it's just nothing's going to happen. So there are very real tangible tools that God has given us to secure at the biologic, mental, and physical, emotional, and spiritual level tangible tools for achieving the state of peace that he has in mind for us. So it's lifestyle, lifestyle principles. And we could just spend so many weeks on this, but that's basically what our... All of our programs are about. Now, today we're going to focus on attitudes that actually produce peace. And when I do um, programs for medical people, I call it peptides of peace. Molecules. They are chemical messengers. And does the Bible talk to us a lot about how we think? We're going to see some amazing relationships today in the mind-body connection. It's a thrilling, thrilling topic. And he's given us faith that preserves peace. Faith that preserves peace. And that is something uh, that is stronger than intelligence and intellectual knowledge, isn't it? Faith is, is accepting in advance what you will only understand in reverse. That's it. 
We're not always going to have the... I mean, in Hebrews chapter 11, it says, by faith, some were saved from the sword, right? By faith, others were slain by the sword. And so we we are not going to understand all things. But you know, the only way that a sailor can check, can, can know the staunchness of his vessel is when it does business in, in, in the high seas. Having the surveyor come and look at the boat is fine. But when you get out in great waters, that's when your faith is tested. In fact, the Bible says the proving of your faith, the testing of your faith is more precious than the golden wedge of Ophir. To know if it's the genuine article, you're going to be out at sea. You're going to be forced to believe that God is who he says he is because of what you know, not because of what you feel. We are all going to pass through those waters. I'd like to uh, draw your attention to Dr. John Rady, User's Guide to the Brain. He's a neuropsychiatrist from Harvard University. And he said this, experiences, thoughts, thoughts, actions, and emotions actually do what? Change. Change the structure of the brain. Jesus said, what you do in secret will be shouted from the housetops. Because it forms us. It changes us. And we cannot hide for long what we are in private. This is uh, also from User's Guide. By viewing the brain as a muscle that can be weakened or strengthened, we can exercise our ability to determine who we, be- can we become. I love the thought that we are engineered by God for renewal, spiritual renewal, physical restoration, emotional and social recovery on a continuum of wellness that will culminate in the final transformation at the second coming of Christ. The mind-body connection in health and disease is in the news, uh, and it, it is fantastic. The study of science is a great thing so, because science gives us a picture at the molecular level of our amazing God. And rightly understood, it assists us in understanding how to labor for souls and God's wonderful love for us. We, we need not shy away from scientific investigation because true science validates the word of God and the character of God. Matter of fact, I was just reading last night in Christ Object Lessons that we are to dwell on the paternal love of Christ. Dwell. And I believe that science reveals the paternal love of Christ. True science and inspiration are in what kind of harmony? Perfect harmony. Now, this is an incredible promise, and we can take it to the bank. All who consecrate soul, body, and spirit to God will be constantly receiving a what? A new endowment of what kind of power? Physical and mental. How many of you would like to be smarter? Be able to solve problems better? Absolutely. He's given us a lifestyle that, that facilitates this. He's given us faith that empowers this journey. And he's given us the spiritual renewal that gives us the courage and fortitude that we need to persist in the face of challenges and obstacles. Now, this is Jeffrey Schwartz, who uh, uh, wrote a book called The Mind and the Brain. Attention is a mental state. You know, do you see a problem? Any school teachers here? Yes. 
you're a young school teacher, but over the years, when I ask older school teachers, do you see a change in children or students' ability to pay attention? Do you think we see a change? Do you think that changes for the better? No. No. So the ability to pay attention focused attention is a learned attribute. I have a program I do called the the Entertainment Trap. We don't have time to do it this week, but it's quite stunning. And chapter 5 of the book, Living Free, it's worth the price of the book for that chapter on how the brain is affected uh, by the barrage of media and what it does to um, the emotional centers of the brain as opposed to the cognitive centers. Attention is a mental state that allows us moment by moment to do what? Choose and sculpt how our ever-changing minds will work. To choose who we will be the next moment in a very real sense. These choices are left embossed in physical form on our material selves. Do we have choices to make every day? And choices are not always between good and evil. I can choose Mozart instead of Bach. Red instead of yellow. The ability to make choice was bought for us on the cross. Choosing my reactions. Uh, Oh, Dane used to tell me this when I would flip. You have response ability, he would say. Oh, okay. (laughs) But it is true. And I'm learning that over time. Matter of fact, one time we got back from a vacation. His office was right above mine on the second floor. And coming back from vacation, you almost feel punished because your inbox is overflowing. Uh, the, the, light, the red light on your phone, is it, it goes faster to, according to how many messages are on the phone. And, and so I'm sitting at my office, and I'm looking at this, this 1,500, it seemed like, email messages. The phone's flashing that red light at me. My inbox is piling over, and we'd only been gone a few days. And so I was sitting at my desk, and instantly, this knot right here, and it started to go right up my neck and it was just going right over my head to land on my eye and when that happens I'm finished for the day I mean that's it's just awful and Dane's walking by he's he's not thinking deeply enough to let any of this bother him he's happy and and he he walked by and he looked and he looked at me and he said what's wrong I mean after all we just got back from vacation Why is his little flower wilting? (laughs) And I started to say, I feel, and I was going to say awful is what I was going to say. But I said, but I do these programs, so I'm without excuse. So I said, I feel awesome. (laughs) I stood up and I said, what are the Lord and I going to do today (laughs) that we don't have too much time, that we don't have enough time for? And, uh, and I felt that thing go right back down my neck and out my shoulder blade. It was just such a blessing. I had to, I chose in that moment, I chose a different way of perceiving. Remember Skip McCarty talking about how we perceive our world makes such a big difference and God talks to us about this and our biology responds in a material way the Bible says that the children of God his name will be written in their in their foreheads I believe that under imaging their brains are going to look and behave and light up 
differently at the molecular physiologic level, their brains will be different than the brain they had when they first came to Christ. Now, this is a beautiful promise. What we're doing here in this program today is very, very simple. We're going to do Inspiration Speaks and Science Answers. Fair enough? Inspiration Speaks. Don't you love to find out how science is being validated by inspiration? I just really enjoyed doing that for this program, so that's what we're going to go over. An understanding of the revealed will of God does what? Enlarges the mind. Is that, does that have a neurologic basis? Is enlarging the mind... Does that, does that mean that there are neurologic changes occurring in the brain? Yes. Absolutely. I mean, she really spoke biochemistry and physiology. It's just thrilling. Expands, elevates, and endows it with what? New vigor. That's frontal lobe. Executive ability. The ability to actually... And that also means that the superhighway, the interconnections for reasoning... Uh, and creating associations are enhanced. And we know that you're as old as your arteries. So, as we have those clear arteries and the good physical health from these habits and lower inflammation, that means that we have less of a likelihood of what is called ischemia in the brain. What is ischemia? Lack of blood supply and neural degeneration. What is that? That's atrophy. That's destruction of nerve cells. Those are the two main causes of dementia, not age and not genetics. So as we cooperate with God, it endows it with new vigor by bringing, into its, by bringing its faculties into content, contact with stupendous truth. So just the things we tend to think about are going to change. And that's such an important thing. I, I really, I'm reading uh, the autobiography of Benjamin Franklin right now. It's a very cool book. You can download it for free. And he never meant it to be published. It's just a series of drafts that he wrote to his children so that they would get some of his... He wanted to pass along some of his wisdom. It's a very interesting book. But he did, early on in his young adulthood, become a vegetarian. And he said that his simple diet gave him quicker comprehension and clearness of, of mind in his thinking. So I thought that was very, very interesting. But he also, Benjamin Franklin also reiterated this principle that that the things that he tended to focus on and think about and read affected his turn of mind. His turn of mind. So our turn of mind, what we orient ourselves toward, what does the Bible say? By beholding you become changed. There's a letter Ellen White wrote to a woman that I would never want to get. This woman was a novel reader. And she said, your mind is becoming like a babbling brook. And soon, if you continue with this light reading, your mind will lose its power of comprehension. What's that called? Losing the power of comprehension is called what? It's called dementia. That's what it's called. And so how important it is, I mean, what are we watching what are we reading? What are we listening to? I would, com- I would recommend to you that you surround yourself with some people who are smarter than you are and always be reading a book that's a little bit too hard. I'm going to be taking some classes this fall 
that are very hard. They're harder than what I know. So what I do is I buy the book a semester ahead of time and read the whole book before I ever have a class if I know it's going to be hard. And it is going to be hard, but that's okay. I want to learn. Genes and the environment interact continually to do what? Change the brain. From the time we're conceived until the moment we die, and we, the owners, to the extent that our genes allow it, can actively shape the way our brains develop throughout the course of our lives. Now, there is a dark side to plasticity. What would the, if your brain is continually reorganizing itself according to what it's learning, then what's the dark side of plasticity? If you, if you start getting into pornography or some of these other things, then your brain actually, there's a a really interesting book by by Dr. Matthew Deutsch called The Brain That Changes Itself. And the brain is very hungry for real estate. And the real estate of the brain is continually changing. For instance, people that go blind, the cortical area of the brain that is responsible for eyesight is actually taken over by the real estate of touch. And so the tactile senses take over that real estate. And so your hands, your touch becomes your eyes and they become very enhanced. Now in God's plan, when you marry someone, that person is what love looks like. That's who you think about. That's who you look at. That's how you dream about, who you dream about. And that's the only person that means love. You've seen, my, uh, my husband talked about his uncle who was in his late 80s or 90s. His name was Uncle Ott. And I can't remember what the wife's name was, Mabel or something. And he just could, this Uncle Ott, he could not talk enough about how beautiful his wife was. And he'd say, isn't she just the picture of loveliness? And Dane would, you know... <laughs> I uh, no, <laughs> he wouldn't say that. But she didn't look gorgeous to my husband. But she was just a cat's meow to Uncle Ott. That's because throughout the married life, Uncle Ott's brain looked at one woman, and that that one person was the definition of love. And that's what the brain learned. The brain learned this is what love looks like. So whether this person is scarred from a fire, loses a limb, gets old, guess what love looks like? Love looks like that woman. But now you start to mix it up and confuse the brain. Does love look like Angelia whoever? Or does it look like Brad whoever? Or does it look like some person on a film, on a pornography film or in a a nasty book that some girl is reading? Now the brain starts to get confused as to what love looks like now the wife or the husband whoever is the object of this change now they don't elicit the same response that should occur and now we have like one out of every four ads for these pills to enhance the ability of performance and part of it has to do with the artery changing effects of a high fat diet very, very significant because when arteries become stiff and inflexible and stop functioning, it doesn't just happen in the heart and in the head. It happens all over the body. But the other place that changes are taking place is the real estate of the brain. And it's very hard to get that real estate fenced back in once you've lost it. And it does happen, though. But that's why 
the dark side of plasticity is our minds and our thoughts belong to God. And he wants to cleanse our minds and our thinking so that we can experience experience the highest heights of love and affection and purity with the one who we have chosen as a life partner. Christ has given his spirit as a divine power to overcome all hereditary and cultivated tendencies to evil and impress his own character upon his church. Heredity and cult that's nature versus what? Nurture, genes, and the environment, whether it's by choice, chance, or circumstance. God has given us tools for moving forward. And I'm really grateful for that. You talked about your environment as a child that puts you at risk. And statistically, no, we know that children who come from an abused or neglected environment are more at risk. So you fell into a statistical pattern. So what your, what your heredity is, I don't know if these kinds of things run in the family or not. However, I do know that God has said that the genes, they continue to change. They actually respond to lifestyle choices. I'm really thankful for that. With the ability to shape our brains comes the ability to shape our what? Our destiny. That's right. We used to think, love this, we used to think that you were born with all the brain cells you were ever going to have, and all you could do was lose them. Well, that is wrong. You do make new nerve cells well into your 80s, 90s, 100s. You can continue to learn, master new things. And God has designed us for increased wisdom over time and healing from emotional trauma. I explained this on the first day of class, I think, how there are two very special areas where there's those new nerve cells that are generated migrate. One is to the amygdala area of the brain, which has to do with emotional memory. The other is the hippocampal area of the brain which has to do with learning so we're actually made by God to continue to improve and I'm very thankful for that however under chronic stress cortisol just singes new nerve cells just kills them so you have a hard time learning I love that picture it shows up in just about every program <laughs> Character is not obtained by amassing wealth or gaining worldly honor. It's not obtained by trying to fight, have others fight the battle of life for us. It must be sought, worked for, and fought for. It requires a purpose, a will, and a determination. And our lifestyle choices actually strengthen the will. In fact, there is no single lifestyle factor that strengthens the ability to make choices more than aerobic exercise. You thought I was going to say diet, but it isn't. It's aerobic exercise strengthens the ability to make choices and stay with them. It has tremendous uh, force to change the brain. It is now science. It has become obvious that we can actually change our brains. The possibilities for change are bounded only by our imagination. What does Ellen White say? Higher than the highest human thought is God's ideal for his children. So, isn't that a nice promise? Don't you love it? Our willingness to assess our brains accurately, don't we uh, get that in our meditation time with God? Through self-reflection and some commitment, our commitment to do some hard work. Is it hard work? Exercise is hard work. Learning a new instrument is hard work. Learning a new subject, hard work. Doing an evangelistic series, not easy. If it was easy, everybody would do it. And so exercising our brains to overcome problems and to initiate new positive choices, yeah, it's hard. You know, we don't have a button that God just pushes and all of a sudden we have a flash of lightning and we're just filled with radiance and we're going to run 
we have to cooperate with God and fight those battles. Genes do, I love this, this is Dr. Rady. I would not say this, but he says it. Genes do not make a man gay, fat, violent or fat or a leader. Genes merely make proteins. (laughs) Genes and the environment work together to shape our brains and we can manage them both if we want to. I think some of our politicians need to see this quote. It may be harder for people with certain genes or surroundings. Is that true? Ellen White says some people have a harder battle with self to fight. So we don't judge other people by how easy something is for us. But harder is a long way from predetermination. I love to read Charles Spurgeon's sermons. And he came out of Calvinism into a, a Baptist uh, a Baptist sort of thinking way back in the early 1800s. He was a wonderful preacher who suffered severely from depression. He had physical problems and all, but he was a, a mighty preacher. And when he was coming out of Calvinism, which is a predestination philosophy, he would say things like, Oh Lord, save your elect. And then elect some more. <laughs> Quitting is really not an option, is it? Because your adversary, the devil is after you like a roaring lion. So we need to start learning and start learning fast. I love this. The relation that exists between the mind and the body is how intimate? Very intimate. When one is affected, the other sympathizes. The condition of the mind affects the health to a far greater degree than many realize. Many of the diseases from which we suffer are the result of mental depression, grief, anxiety, discontent, remorse, guilt, distrust, all tend to break down the life forces. How, After going through our simple solutions, our diet and stress day, what would you call... If you were going to put this in clinical terms, what would you call the life forces? Remember the teeter-totter? What would you, how would you describe the life forces? The nervous system and the, what do they talk to each other all the time, balancing one another out? The immune system. The nervous and immune system. And invite decay and death. Courage, hope, faith, sympathy, and love promote health and prolong life. What does the Bible say? A merry heart does good like a medicine, but a broken spirit is a risk factor for osteoporosis. Yeah, you can take magnesium and boron and get out in the sun and vitamin D and eat your greens and get your folate, but you may have a worry wart that needs removing. You may be mountain climbing over molehills. And that can, pardon, a worry wart, a worry wart that needs removing, and that may be the, the primary cause of bone turnover. A contented mind, a cheerful spirit, is health to the body and strength to the soul. Now here's science. This is amazing. Candace Pert wrote a book. She's a biochemist who wrote a book called Molecules of emotion, a most fascinating read. She's not a Christian, but God is using people like this to trumpet his principles. I mean, let's learn this stuff and put it in the right context. What the public at the hands of some, at the hands of scientists, clinicians, and popular movements in psychology, oh, this is Dr. Rady, I'm sorry, we haven't gotten to Candace yet, has missed for so long is the fact that emotion wells up from the brain and body acting how? Together. 
we are learning that emotions are the result of multiple brain and body systems that are distributed over the whole person. Give you an example. We talk about the um, Prozac-type medicines to fight depression, the selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. 95% of serotonin is not produced in the brain. It's produced in the GI tract. We cannot separate emotion from cognition or cognition from the body. It has always been our need as humans to divide, conquer, and separate out two kingdoms as heaven and hell. But separating the body and the brain is rapidly coming to be seen as how? Ridiculous. Gratitude, rejoicing, benevolence, trust in God's love and care. These are health's greatest safeguards. Now, happy people get sick. Terrible things happen to very pleasant human beings. However, this is a tool that we need to recognize in our own lives and in the lives of those that we are laboring for so that they can understand that this is a resource that God has given to develop a way of thinking that will tend to reduce disease. That which brings sickness of body and mind to nearly all is dissatisfied feelings and discontented repinings. I remember when Dane uh, was dating me. I wasn't raised an Adventist. I didn't know all the little Adventist things that pe- Adventists do. And I remember he sang me some song that the Adventist kids like. Nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. Think I'll go eat worms. We sang the whole thing. Oh, it's awful. It's an awful song. I said, where on earth did you pick that up? Pardon? Your mother used to sing that to you. Okay. <laughs> So how, how does, what happens in the brain from science? What happens when we do this? We, and it's really interesting because uh, women tend to suffer more depression than men. They tend to ruminate more than men. We put it in the crock pot and let it stew over and over and over. Men, as their brains age, they tend to become more pessimistic and grouchy. So can you imagine two unchecked people? She's getting more depressed. He's getting crabbier. So you see, the Lord has this... He wants us to be aware. And my husband used to laugh because he used to, we used to do marriage seminars. And, and it, we read somewhere that women have 30,000 words a day that they speak. Men have 15,000. So the problem is he gets home from work. He's done. She's got 15,000 left. Causes a lot of problems. But anyway, in the aftermath of a traumatic event, you tend to do what? Put it in the crock pot. The more likely you are to release more stress hormones. And what do stress hormones bathing the brain do to the hippocampal and amygdala areas of the brain that are rich in cortisol receptors? What happens to all those new nerve cells? Yeah, they short out. So even newly formed neurons begin to die under this kind of mental cogitation. And the more likely they are to act to make the memory of that event even stronger. Very interesting. Medicine is aware of this, and uh, you may know this as a nurse, but uh, now with um, post-traumatic stress victims, rape victims, they will give them cortisol-lowering medication after an event to lower cortisol so that this solidification in the amygdala to create long-term trauma does not occur. Isn't that interesting? 
Now, this is, I think this is the most amazing statement I have ever read in the spirit of prophecy, and we're going to understand the biochemistry of this, or the physiology of this, actually, after we read this statement. It is stunning, so play, pay close attention. She wrote this way in the 1800s. Remember, in those days, one of the reasons that water is listed as its own doctor is because in those days, taking baths was considered a bad thing. That You'd get a chill, you'd get sick, the layer of dirt was good. And, uh, and so... If your mind is impressed and what? Fixed. We're going to learn about the fixed versus the learning mindset later. That a bath will injure you. The mental impression is communicated where? To all the nerves of the body. And the blood is, through the impression of the mind, confined to the blood vessels. Now, what is this saying? This is saying that if someone is being placed in a hot bath, but because of their belief that the water will harm them, the vessels do not dilate. That's what's happening here. That's why when people come to me with these little, you know, two ounce powders that they've paid $120 for that they say, this has cured my, you know, fill in the blank. And you can't convince them otherwise. They believe it so strongly that it does have an effect. And if I were to tell them the truth about what I know about that powder, it's 95% rice polish that you can get for 60 cents a pound at the Chinese store. And a couple of sugars in it. I'm not going to tell you. And the good effects of the bath are lost. All this is because the blood is prevented by the mind and will from doing what? From flowing readily and from coming... You know, there's, you, you've, we've heard of placebo effect. There's also nocebo. If you don't think it's going to help you, it won't. And studies have shown that even with tissue rejection, the placebo effect is in action, for at least for a period of time. Very, very interesting. And coming from to the surface to stimulate, arouse, and promote the circulation. You are impressed that if you bathe, you will become chilly. The brain sends this intelligence to the nerves of the body via peptides. Peptides. These are pro, uh, protein precursors of chains of amino acids that are chemical messengers, molecules of communication. And the blood vessels held in obedience to your will cannot form their office and cause a reaction after the bath. What do you think? Absolutely incredible. Now, there are 50 different molecules in the brain, approximately, that are thought of as modulating mood and emotion. Now, the brain is actually only 5% electrical. It is 95% chemical. Chemical meaning that these peptides are capable of action at a distance. They're glandular. And that means when you're upset, where do you feel it? In your frontal lobe? No. Where do you feel it? Instantly. You feel it in your stomach or your gut or you get chills or your blood vessels respond. So there's this instant communication with these 50 different peptides between the brain and the body. Now the interesting thing is, and we will get to this, is that all 50 of those peptides are made, stored, and secreted by your GI tract, the mobile cells of your immune system, and your respiratory tract. 
And so the way that you treat your body will either assist or harm your mental state because those molecules of communication go both ways. You know, Ellen White talks about that relationship between the stomach and the brain. And children who watch television, greater asthma incidents, they're watching upsetting things, and it's affecting a two-way system. Now, here's from Candace Pert, who wrote Molecules of Emotion. She actually was the one, her lab discovered the endorphins and enkephalin receptors, the receptors on the cells that actually have the pain-killing effect in the body. Pockets of peptide juices are released from both glands and brain cells, after which they bind with specific receptors that enable them to act at sites far from where the juices originated. This is what we call action at a distance. We made a radical discovery that every neuropeptide receptor we could find in the brain is also on the surface of the human immune cell. I read a very interesting study a couple of months ago that immune dysfunction is an independent risk factor for depression. No other hits going on, you're not sad, no trauma, it doesn't run in the family, but just immune dysfunction is a risk factor for depression. Think about it when you get the flu. What, ha what are the symptoms of flu? Mm -hmm. That's exactly right. I mean, you, okay, chills, achy, but what happens to your thinking? What happens to your motivation? It's shut down. Your body is shutting you down. You don't want to get out of bed. You're not motivated. You're listless. You can't think. Those are the symptoms of depression. And so the body in immune dysfunction is creating the same symptoms that we associate with depression. Immune cells also make, store, and secrete the neuropeptides themselves. In other words, the immune cells are making the same chemicals that we conceive of as controlling mood in the brain. So that's another reason why exercise and good diet have a mood-elevating effect. It's not just all about this, you know, work up a sweat, endorphins are created. No, there's an independent salutary effect. So immune cells not only control the tissue integrity of the body, but they also manufacture information chemicals that can regulate mood or emotion. What an amazing thing. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. We know that the immune system, like the central nervous system, has memory and the capacity to learn. Isn't that interesting? In fact, uh, studies done with rats show that this was a group, a, a group of scientists, I think at a French university, and they took rats and they gave them a toxin in a very highly sweetened saccharin solution. The rats responded and mounted a very strong immune response because of the toxin. And then they would have a washout period where the rats returned back to normal. They did this several times. Then they had a washout period and gave the rats just the saccharin solution. No toxin in it. Guess what happened? Same immune response. Same thing. This is an interesting thing with drug acclimation as well. Rats 
were taken, put in a cage that was highly like this rug, very, uh, very colorful, very distinctive environment. And they were habituated to very high amounts of an addictive drug, morphine, heroin, I don't know which, uh, in this cage. And there's an anticipatory reaction when the body prepares for an addiction of any type, whatever the addiction is going to be, whether it's going to be a food experience or a drug or whatever the thing is going to be. There's an anticipatory preparation by the body that, and, and a rush of dopamine release before even the event occurs. Um, and so these rats became addicted to these very high amounts of drugs. Now, when these rats were put in a normal cage and given the same amount of drug, unprepared, not anticipating, it killed them. It killed them. So, yeah, our immune systems have memory and the capacity to learn. I've been given psych drugs and depressed with my dopamine brain in half years of my life. Uh-huh. Yeah. So walking and, you know, <coughs> saying very positive things, maybe getting some running in, probably be a good thing. Emotions are at the nexus between matter and mind, going back and forth between the two and influencing both. Makes you want to take care of your body, doesn't it? The power of the will is not valued as it should be. Let the will be kept awake. And what's the first and best way to keep it awake? I mean, lifestyle-wise. I already told you. Exercise. That's right. And it will impart energy to the whole being. And that, in fact, Ellen White says, exercise fortifies the will. Strengthens the will. It will be a wonderful aid in the maintenance of health. Exercised in the right direction, it would control the imagination and be a potent means of resisting and overcoming disease of both body and mind. There are thousands who can recover health if they will. The Lord desires them to be well and happy, and they should make up their minds to be well. You know, when I travel, I start thinking, I just know I'm going to get something. I can just tell. You know, I feel something right here. You know, and I start this. And I have to stop myself. Because I will get sick if I keep thinking that way. When the will is dormant through self-absorption and lack of physical exercise, the imagination becomes abnormal and it's impossible to resist disease. Vicky. A major conceptual shift in neuroscience has been wrought by the realization that brain function is modulated by numerous chemicals in addition to classical neurotransmitters. Many of these informational substances are neuropeptides. Their numbers presently exceed 50 and most, if not all, alter behavior and mood states. Doesn't that make you want to cooperate with God in all these great ways to get on this continuum of recovery? Neuropeptides and their receptors join the brain, glands, and immune system in a network of communication between brain and body, probably representing the biochemical substrate of emotion. Absolutely fabulous. We're almost done here. Educate the lips to talk of Jesus and the heart to praise him, and it will become what? Second nature. Educate your lips to praise the Lord. Emotions, I like this, Moods and states such as compassion are what? Trainable mental states. It's just saying what Spirit of Prophecy says in a different way. Resolution, self-denial, and consecrated effort are required. Consecrated effort. What is consecrated effort? You know, we breeze by these phrases. It means you're really focused on 
you know, when my son was learning the violin as a little boy, the teacher would give him scales to learn, and wow, it'd just make the hair go up on the back of your neck. But after plenty of practice, it actually sounded pretty good. Consecrated effort are required for the work of preparation to meet Jesus. The understanding and the conscience may be united, but if the will is not set to work, we will make a failure. So just because we're in agreement with what we hear and even enjoy it, we've got to get some traction. We must remember that genetics is not destiny. Genes set boundaries for human behavior, but within those boundaries, there's immense room for variation determined by experience, personal choice, and even chance. The point to remember is that genes can be active or inactive, and everything we do affects the activity of our genes. It's become obvious that we can change our brains by altering the external environment of our surroundings or the internal environment of our bodies. We can take better advantage of our strengths and amend our weaknesses. The possibilities for change are bounded only by our imagination, our willingness to assess our brains accurately, and our commitment to do some hard work. One necessary precursor to change, though, is often a change in attitude. What we learn to do, we learn by doing. Do you want to learn to eat more vegetables? What do you have to start doing? Practicing. Do you want to be more pleasant? Then start what? Practicing. Do you want to listen better? Start practicing. You're not going to get it perfect right away. Just start practicing. Excellence is not an act. It's a habit that we obtain by Practice. Paul said, those things which you have seen and heard in me, practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Okay, I'm not going to go through the faith section. Oh, I, I got to share this one with you. The Lord frequently, you know, God has given us faith that preserves peace. That's number four, the peace plan. The Lord frequently places us in difficult positions to stimulate us to greater exertion. In his providence, special annoyances sometimes occur to test our patience and faith. I had to work with a really awful person a number of years ago. And he, he just couldn't stand me. No matter how I tried, and he was in control of my project that I was working on when I was putting the Living Free book together. And... Um, He'd see me coming, and he'd go, oh, what? You know, I could, <laughs> and I'd complain to Dane, and he'd say, just let it roll off your back. You know, God's in control, all those platitudes that people say. And it didn't, didn't help me. One day, he was, Dane was out of town. I couldn't complain to him, so I put my head on the desk. I started to weep, and I talked to God. I said, Lord, if you would just get rid of this person, I could get on with my Christian walk. What is the deal? I don't get this. Well, he was around for a long time till I figured out that my husband was right. God gives us lessons of trust. He would teach us where to look for help and strength in times of need. Thus, we obtain practical knowledge of his divine will, which we so much need in our experience. Faith grows strong in earnest conflict with doubt and fear. What an amazing thing. Faith like Job's cannot be shaken because it's a result of having been shaken. Faith is trusting in advance what's only going to be, make sense in reverse. All right, we're done. He's the author and finisher of our faith, right? Okay, thank you. What we're going to do now, any comments, questions?
I just have a question that Libby Free, who wrote that book? I did. Oh, you did? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Thank you. Um, what we want to do now, we have time before break. Are you too exhausted to do some mental work? Yes or no? Do you want break now? You don't want break. You want break now? Who wants break now? Who wants to do the group activity now? Everybody's looking at me. Okay. Group activity. Put your hand up if you want the group activity. It's a quick activity. It's a quick activity. I want you to do this while it's all fresh in your mind. Okay, so my trusty assistants are going to hand out these papers. And we're going to divide up again into our five groups. They're already handed out. Okay, group number one. Do you see where it says spiritual principles for securing peace? On page one. Are you there? Do you see here? Do you have this? Okay. Number, I want you to do A and C. Group number two. Do you see number one there? Do A and C. Do you, number two. Do T, do time and other. Group number three in the back. Good nutrition, regular rest. Do you see that under number two? Are you with me? Okay. Number two, I want you to do daily exercise and positive social and stress management on the next page. Number, group number four, I want you to do number four. We're skipping number three because that's after the next presentation. So you guys in the back do number four. And we'll just take a few moments to get those ready. Hear what you have to say. Okay, we're going to, uh, our, uh, our last project for today, we're going to go through mindset and then we, we're going to do the last part of that worksheet. And I'm trying to, yeah, here it is. This is a shorter PowerPoint, I promise. But it is a very interesting one. Oh, and we're just good on time. But if we get out early, a little early, nobody's going to complain, I'm sure. (laughs) Now, we don't have to have groaning in the class. I mean, come on. Of all days. (laughs) Building a better brain, body, and life in your crazy, busy world. Gandhi said this. He said, there's much more to life than increasing its speed. We can make an awful lot of haste, but not much progress. And we've all experienced that, haven't we? Uh, Edward Hollowell wrote this book, Crazy Busy, Overstretched, Overbooked, and About to Snap. (laughs) And he talks about disconnecting from all of this media so that we can actually connect with what our true priorities are. And you have some handouts today that you've been given seven goals for a designer lifestyle and seven steps to maintaining those goals. I I suggest that you spend some time looking that over, uh, looking those over. I have a PowerPoint on the seven steps, and they're very helpful to facilitate long-term change and to help to create the most important priorities and thresh out some of the less, the more superfluous things. Today we're going to focus on a book by Carol Dweck. She's a social scientist. She wrote a book called Mindset, and she uh, has 
researched and studied and come up with and coined the term the fixed versus the learning mindset. It's a fascinating book. She, is, uh, she does not come from a Christian perspective, but the principles that she outlines are very valuable to us. So the fixed mindset is defined as a person that believes that such traits as intelligence, ability, personality, and competence are inborn and basically unchangeable. They believe that if you have to work at improving, it must mean you're lacking in basic intelligence or innate ability. She uh, uses very interesting examples from the corporate and the sports world to illustrate the fixed versus the learning mindset. And she she uses a very famous tennis figure to illustrate the fixed mindset. If you uh, remember, some of you are old enough to remember John McEnroe. Uh, And people would watch tennis just to watch this man throw temper tantrums. He would break his racket. If he missed a shot, somebody had sneezed. It was the wrong kind of sand. The judge made the call wrong. He was known as a very gifted, natural athlete. But the fixed mindset proved to be his ruin. Uh, you compare him with that basketball player, and I always forget his name. I say he's tall, but they're all tall. Um, his mother was an Adventist. Jordan? Is it Michael Jordan? Is that his mom lives in Michigan? Yeah, goes to the church right there in Lansing. But anyway, he uh, did not make the cut in high school, tried and tried again, and he kept getting disqualified. And uh, he would complain to his mother, and she said, well, there are other players that are playing better. You better go back and practice. So he would practice and practice and practice, and guess what happened? He became more gifted. The harder you practice, the more gifted you become. And then, of course, the rest is history. So a fixed mindset views themselves as smart or dumb, strong or weak, competent or incompetent, winners or losers, good or bad. It tends to stifle creativity because creativity involves risk. And she goes into the corporate world and talks about major CEOs of corporations that did not shift with the times and do new creative things because they had this, this is what worked, this is the formula, this is what I was born to do. And so the creative, imaginative with the risk of failure was not part of of their paradigm. She has done studies with toddlers, with small children and a Uh, Some are genetically or in their environment are very prone to a fixed versus a learning mindset. And children with a fixed mindset will always choose easy puzzles. And the reason that they choose easy puzzles is because they continually have to reaffirm to themselves how competent they are. Children with a learning mindset will choose hard puzzles. They don't mind making mistakes because they like the challenge of the puzzle. And their identity is not wrapped up in having to automatically master everything. Now imagine how this would work out in in a personal Christian walk or team building. If you have a team member with a fixed mindset, how are they going to respond to problems, challenges, mistakes, and outright failures in themselves and others? This is a really key piece of information. So the fixed results are challenges they tend to avoid. Obstacles, they give up easily. Effort, they see as fruitless. Criticism, they ignore or resent. Other people's success, they find threatening. 
We see that right here in health ministries at times, a scarcity mentality. It's my program or nobody's program. Mine has to be the best. It can't have any flaws. It has to be better than everybody else's. Now, if we think that way, then we're not going to be very susceptible to seeing and gleaning what's good about other people's materials and products, incorporating new changes, or even collaborating, uh, which is a great thing for God's people to do. The trait of a fixed mindset person, they tend to be negative. They tend to feel sorry for themselves, and they're anxious, depressed, and they're unforgiving because they tend to be unforgiving of themselves when they make a mistake. Imagine how hard it would be or how hard it is to grow as a Christian with a fixed mindset if you make a mistake. I mean, look, when my son was taking violin, he would get these pieces of music to do, and they just sounded awful, 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 and then a little better, a little better, a little better, and then wonderful. (coughs) But then he'd go to have his lesson, and guess what? New piece of music. Awful, 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 awful. And isn't the, isn't the Christian life kind of like that, where we, we, we get some traction going, and then what does the Lord in mercy and love do? He, he wants to bump you up another time to take another step up Jacob's ladder. But to the fixed mindset, they're very fragile. And these new challenges, they see as failures. And how many times can a person fail before they feel like they can go forward? Now, when, when you have a fixed mindset in a marriage, um, it can really cause some significant problems. And this is one woman who experienced a divorce, who had a fixed mindset, and, and she said, if I had to choose between me being happy and him being miserable, I would definitely want him to be miserable. <laughs> Benjamin Barber, sociologist, said this. He said, I do not divide the world into the weak and the strong or the successes and failures. I divide the world into learners and non-learners. That's a really strong drumbeat throughout all the Bible, isn't it? Cease to do evil and learn. Learn. Come to me, you who are heavy laden and labor, and learn of me. Learn of me and you will find rest. It's a lifetime process filled with mistakes and failures and disappointments. Successful people are not mistake-free. They just refuse to give up. Viktor Frankl, a psychiatrist, a Jewish psychiatrist who was a Holocaust survivor, (coughs) who spent years in a concentration camp, said this. He lost his family, his profession, his health, everything manuscript that he was writing he said everything can be taken from a man but one thing the last of human freedoms to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances if you have a fixed mindset person in a leadership position in a team to run a church program they will destroy morale because every mistake is a crisis instead of an opportunity for building loyalty mistakes are opportunities wrong practices and and faults and flaws of other people are opportunities for leaders to build loyalty because when someone loves you when you've made a mistake how do you feel toward that person afterwards what is your response when someone is kind what does the bible say he is kind to the unthankful and to the unholy The growth mindset is different. Children with a growth mindset will choose hard puzzles. They like the challenge. They're not afraid of not being able to do the puzzle. 
The growth mindset believes that although people may differ in basic aptitudes, interests, and temperament, everyone can change, grow, and improve. They have a passion for stretching and growing even when they're making mistakes and facing challenges. The, uh, many, many years ago, we used to, in some schools, uh, give children the intelligence test, the IQ test. By the way, the IQ test was originally um, uh, created by a Frenchman who was just simply trying to measure aptitude in French school children to see where they needed work. We, we adapted it to become a measure of basic intelligence and in some of our schools, we would seat children in their school desks according to their IQ test. The children with the higher numbers would be in the front and then so on to the back of the room. Well, there was one classroom where the children with the low IQ scores were doing quite well, and the children with the higher scores were not doing so well. Well, the, te- the principal came to check it out and learned that the uh, principal had in it, I mean, the teacher had inadvertently seated these children according to their locker numbers. And so the children with the higher locker numbers were sitting in the front, and the children with the lower locker numbers were sitting in the back, and they all had this understanding of who was smart and who wasn't, and they all responded appropriately. (laughs) Now, the growth mindset, the result is we embrace challenges. And what does it mean to become a disciple? It's different than becoming a teacher. When you become a disciple of Christ and you engage in his work, you are embracing something that is bigger than yourself. It's audacious. It's impossible. And it requires you to unify with other flawed people as you learn and make mistakes together and have some advances and some setbacks. That's what this is all about. And so understanding the importance of this learning mindset is just critical to personal advancement in relationships, in education, in work, and in spiritual advancement. And in team building, which we're going to talk about tomorrow. Obstacles, we persist. Effort, they see as the path to mastery, not evidence of stupidity. Criticism, we learn from it. Other people's success we find inspiring, not threatening. I want to tell you the story of Jennifer Willette. Jennifer Willette was a woman who hated physics. She didn't think girls did physics. She didn't take it in high school, didn't take it in college or post-grad. And she went to work for the National Institute of Health. As I don't know what her specific uh, responsibilities were. But one day, she was coming down the stairs... And she saw three Nobel laureates standing around a copy machine trying to figure out what button to push to make a copy. And she guiltily enjoyed watching them struggle for a few moments. And she had a moment of enlightenment where she realized that learning is not so much about intelligence as it is about um, exposure or familiarity. So she decided at that moment that she was going to familiarize herself with physics. She went on to write a book on physics for everyday people that was on the New York Times bestseller list, and it's called Black Bodies and Quantum Cats. It's discovering physics in everyday life. And I bought that book and read it because I don't like physics and don't understand physics. And it's an amazing book. It was a hard book. To, to understand, because she really did master 
uh, some pretty high-ranking physics. But this just goes to show you that when she decided to familiar, it's like my daughter, she's a nurse. She said, Mom, I can't do, you know, I can't do genetics. I just am not good at, and I said, Gina, have you decided to get interested in genetics? Do you think that all of a sudden you're just going to automatically get genetics? Oh, there may be one or two people like that, but that doesn't mean they'll be successful. And so if you apply yourself to knowledge, as Solomon said, you will learn. You will grow and you will improve. The growth mindset trait is they tend to be positive, self-forgetful, trusting of others, resilient when things go wrong. So that's the opposite of depression. The opposite of depression is not joy. It's resiliency. The ability to bounce back, face trouble, solve problems. And they tend to be more forgiving of others because they understand that they need to forgive themselves too and ask God for forgiveness for the many little flaws, mistakes, and errors that tend to pop up in life. This is a woman in a, a learning mindset marriage. Our problems have taught me about the importance of communication. I used to think that love conquers all, but now I know that it needs a lot of help. In a fixed mindset marriage, if it's, from, if it's supposed to be, it should be perfect and easy. And yet that's not the case at all. And again, Aristotle, what we learn to do, we learn by doing. Excellence, then, is not an act, but a habit. Now, imagine if two fixed mindset people marry. You believe that your qualities are fixed, your partner's qualities are fixed, and the relationship's qualities are fixed. It's a recipe for disaster and failure. The growth mindset says all these things can be developed. All, you, your partner, and the relationship are capable of growth and change. That's, isn't that more of a biblical model? In the fixed mindset, the ideal is instant, perfect, and perpetual compatibility like it was meant to be. Some of us have starstruck, you know, before the dust settles in a marriage, we, we tend to think this way. So the fixed expectations are love conquers all, problems indicate deep flaws, a good relationship should not require effort, Couples should agree on everything. Now, you know, if we're not talking about couples here, imagine team building. We're going to put this team together. And it's just going to be great. The programs are going to be perfect. Everybody's going to remember what they're supposed to do. Nobody's going to disagree on everything. Because after all, we all want the same thing to happen. We're all Christians. And we all are on the same page. Well, we hope for things to run as smooth as oil. But they're not going to. People will have different ways of seeing things. They'll forget things. They believe couples should be able to read each other's minds. Women especially. You know, a woman will ask her husband, are those your socks on the floor? (laughs) Yeah, Argyle. You know, and he's out the door. What's she really doing? Pick up those socks. (laughs) Pick them up, put them in the drawer. Do you think I was put here to serve? You know, that kind of a thing. The relationship will self-adjust over time. Not true. The marriage journey should be smooth and easy. Almost never. Fixed minds have no recipe for healing. They see their problems as personal, pervasive, and permanent. A learning mindset believes that love or team building or working with people or programs or whatever needs a lot of help. 
Problems are a part of life. A good relationship requires effort and maintenance, and couples rarely agree on everything. I used to think it was my job to convince my husband to think like me. He fired me from that job really early on. I was just trying to help him. Couples cannot mind read. They need to communicate. The relate, and that this pertains to friends. It pertains to team members, leaders, and always be looking for ways to affirm people in your team. You know, it's the old goose method. You put a goose in the front that can handle turbulence, and all the gooses behind honk in affirmation, and then the, they take that goose out for a while, put another goose in front, give the lead goose a rest. And that's a team-building model we're going to use tomorrow. The relationship will change with new input, and that's okay. The marriage journey is deepened as challenges are met and conquered. This is a really important principle, that love is based on commitment, not the other way around. Sure, you fall in love, but love grows out of commitment. That's the pot, of, that's the pot that the plant grows out of, that commitment. Choosing a partner is choosing a set of problems. There are no problem-free candidates. Now, you can't, you can't uh, convince him newly young engaged people of that, but they will find out. The trick is to acknowledge each other's limitations and build from there. And change is a wonderful process. It's not like surgery. New beliefs take their place alongside old ones and gain strength with practice over time. That's a biblical principle. Time in God's word, focusing on his love, power, and promises heals faulty internal monologues. Remember, successful people or Christians are not mistake-free. They just refuse to give up. And we read this, we did this earlier. We are not prisoners of our genes or our environment. This is Dr. Rady. Poverty, alienation, drugs, hormonal imbalances, and depression do not dictate failure. Wealth, acceptance, vegetables, and exercise do not guarantee success. Have you ever met some mean vegetarians? <laughs> They're out there, aren't they? We must remember that genetics is not destiny. Genes set boundaries for human behavior, but within these boundaries, there's immense room for variation determined by experience, personal choice, and even chance. We always have the ability to remodel our brains. The key is learning. Jesus said, learn of me. When we have to learn new things, it does not mean we're stupid. It means we're learners, and that's wisdom. Amen? Okay. We're going to stop there and do our worksheet. And when we're through discussing our worksheet, I'm going to dismiss class. How about that?